from the Pavilion on Cambridge 105 Radio. Hello and welcome to the From the Pavilion Lockdown podcast. On today's episode, myself and Callum Guest are joined by Alex Sears again from Saffron Warden Cricket Club and a World Cup winner. Yes, England fast bowler Mark Wood is on the show. We'll be reminiscing with Mark about the Cricket World Cup last summer, delving into why this year's tour against South Africa was so successful for him, his top coaching tips and memories of local club cricket as a youngster. And yes, he will be also giving us his updated fantasy slip cordon. It must contain one cricketer and one cricketer only, so who will that be? If you want to contribute to the show and get in touch, you can do at FTP Cricket 105 on both Twitter and Facebook. So thanks very much for tuning in. My name is Ollie Slack. Delighted to welcome, as ever, Callum Guest on the show. No worries, mate. Alex Sears from Saffron Warden. Hello again. And it's an absolute privilege and honour to welcome on to the show a World Cup winner, an England fast bowler, the legend that is Mark Wood. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Hello. How are you doing? You good? Very good. Very good. Uh, Sapper Warden, uh, Alex, yes, that was a lovely introduction. Uh, the poshest man in the UK. So nice to hear him again. It's leafy. It's leafy here. Leafy. <laughs> yeah, he's 48th different club, I think, Sapper Warden as well. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> Before we actually talk cricket, I really want to know, Mark, how do you know Alex? Because cause he, he, as you, you may know, he often just name drop quite a bit. And when he name dropped you last year on our cricket show, I was sort of taken back a bit. And I don't think he's ever actually explained how you two know each other. So me and Alex are good friends. We've been friends for our, um, close friends for a while. I would say I first came across Alex played Northumberland against Lincolnshire under 17. Um, I didn't know Alex very well at the time, but that was my first sort of meeting. Managed to get Alex out. And sure. then probably two or three years later, we joined up together at Newcastle College on a sports course. And now every bit of sort of work that Alex has done while we're at college or any bit that he's kept will have the right in court sander, bold wood, 55 on it. As I reminded him every day when I scribbled it on every bit of paper that he had. And we just remained good friends since then. And he's been uh, my local club, Ashington Creek Club. He's been training with them. We used to go to South Northumberland and Gosforth and Alex used to help me um, train indoors. And I used to give him some tips as well. So, yeah, it was good. Is that how you remember, Alex? Yeah, so um, I remember we, we played Northumberland. We went all the way up to, was it Tynemouth? Was it Tynemouth Creek Club? Yeah. Or oh, Tynemouth. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah, Northumberland got 400 for like six on the first day. But Woody came, oh, this lad came in number three. And we'd just got the first wicket. We we're absolutely buzzing. And we we're all 17. And he comes in and crashes the first ball through the covers for four. I was like, he can bat. And then he came on and bowled 80 miles an hour later as well. But um, I remember seeing him on the first day of college. I'm, I'm there, me, speaking like this, hello. Uh, and I, I'm in Newcastle College and everyone's coming in, Newcastle United kit. And I was like, oh, no. And then someone on his first day of college rocks up in an England cricket top. But yeah, um, then we just hung out a lot. Uh, since then and he, he used to just write in my book all the time <laughs> well I was um, I was a big fan of history and you know I, I love anything to do with sort of obviously the castles up here in the northeast and uh, anything like that Alex with his voice when I first met him reminded me of a royal knight I think that's how it became uh, good, good friends 
Brilliant. I couldn't picture more fish out of water though than Alex in Newcastle, just stereotypically. Yeah, he's, yeah. His accent isn't bad, but maybe he'll have to get that on sometime where he just does the podcast in his uh, northeast accent. We did, we did debate, we did debate if we had any connection troubles with you dropping out, Mark, that whether Alex could cover with his impression of you. But and come on, Susie. How are you, man? <laughs> <laughs> That's so bad. Jimmy, I can't. I think we'll leave it there. Let's move on to the World Cup then, Mark. And I did say at the top of the show, you're probably a little bit bored about talking about it, but you got to watch it back the other day with the England boys on the Sky Watch Along. How was that? Was there anything you sort of remember that you've forgotten at the time or how was it watching it back again? We actually watched the full game together. So we had like a maybe a Zoom or a different app that we had a where we all the lads throughout the day um, went on to this app and at different points during the day there was different people on. Owen Morgan sat and watched the whole thing uh, with a glass <laughs> of wine and uh, just what I was on when I went in as well. And there's certain things like I was asking Morgie, or when you look back now, he was like, why did I leave him on for so long? Why didn't I change this? So it's amazing the little things you pick up on, but in the moment, I remember I've watched it back. Uh, maybe a month or two after the final, I watched it back, the highlights, and I haven't watched my opening spell since. I'm that embarrassed by it. Uh, <laughs> I'll not watch it again. I pulled the heap of rubbish where I think I was obviously just too up for it, where... I've watched it and I think, why am I not just hitting the top of off stump as many times as I can? Why am I trying to blow a bouncer? Why am I trying to do this? And it's frustrating to watch, but overall, I think watching it back and talking about we have mates and stuff like that, like, it still brings back great feelings, like watching it now. I've watched it a few times and uh, I never really get sick of it, to be honest. It's, even when you know it's, like, it's such a freak game when you, you see the stuff that happens in the end. Like the last two or three overs, like one of them big things happens usually once a game. And there was like six or seven things happening in the space of three of us that just never happened. It was just ridiculous. Everything just aligned, didn't it? I know. And it was almost just like... It almost day, started from that, 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 that catch that he stepped on the rope. Uh, it almost started yeah. then. It was almost like the snowball effect, wasn't it? It was almost like every single ball was an event from then onwards. It was just it was it was, incredible. Someone was trying to trump everyone, wasn't it? Oh, you said <laughs> right, next time we'll throw in the overthrows. All oh, right, this time you'll be a super over. It was like... How weird can we get? Yeah. <laughs> the oh, cricket dear. gods just rubbing their hands together <laughs> above the game. Like, right, what have we got next? <laughs> The the moment after as well because I was I was lucky enough to be there I was I think because you you weren't on for the super over mark were you because I remember you, you coming off because your the bench that you guys got to sit on was literally right by where I was sat because I was looking after the photographers who were right in front of the pavilion effectively and that the scene afterwards of all the family members sort of on the pitch it was almost like sort of heaven really with the sort of the the sun just setting over Lords and just all these sort of different people all the family members. Uh, coming on and obviously sharing the experience. That must have been amazing. The only other time I've had stuff like that, I mean, if you think of like um, when, when I've been a part of like an Ashes winning team, the, the families come into the dressing room and, and you get to spend time with each other and that's brilliant. But actually be on the field um, in the World Cup final after what had gone on and it wasn't just us as well. People will forget that. I think, oh, it was just us. The whole of the New Zealand family <laughs> yeah. and friends, they were on the field as well. So it was actually quite a nice mix I mean, this iconic game, they were obviously gutted, but they're the best set of lads you could ever wish to play against. They're so, they play so hard on the field, but then off the field, they're fantastic losers. They're good winners as well, so they're not, um, they don't like rub it in your face or anything like that. And, um, I've played with Tom Latham quite a bit at Durham, and 
he was someone that I had a bit of chat with at the, at the end of the final as well with his family. So it was a great atmosphere and to have my family there and Sarah, my wife, was heavily pregnant at the time, so I was trying to calm her down because we had a bit of a roller coaster <laughs> day. So it was just um, an amazing feeling, really. It's a bit of a sour topic that I tried to get a ticket for that and you t- took Sarah and not me, but anyway, I-, I wouldn't have had any trouble. He was moaning on the cricket show the week after. He was the, uh, the co-host as Callum was away. That was, that was one of my first of, of 20 name drops. That, that was. was like, I, actually was tr- I was actually trying to get tickets for it because we, we did a whole show about it. Talk, I, could talk about, I talked about it for an hour that day mm. and I could still talk about it for hours on end now. I could, well, we literally couldn't. I mean, so unlike Alex, who is a close friend of mine, the amount of random people that messaged me for World Cup final tickets, like I haven't spoken to them yet. But one of them, one school teacher, again, this isn't Alex, but one school teacher messaged me saying, um, "Oh, um, how are you, Mark? Great to hear from you. Any chances of a ticket for the final?" And I was thinking, like, you haven't laughed yet. Like, the World Cup the final, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, endless amounts just come in. Yeah, <laughs> Woody didn't have time that week to to sort out the restraining order against me to get me to the final. <laughs> uh, three. So uh, I thought as a FCC member, you blag your way in, Alex. Oh mate, it was it was heaving there, absolutely heaving. Well, like I said, we could talk about that all day, but we'll move on to South Africa, Mark. And for yourself, it was a brilliant, brilliant series. You averaged thirteen with the ball in the Test matches, twelve wickets, nine for at the Wanderers as well, and. And who could forget averaging 47 with the bat as well? An amazing series for you. Do, do you feel like because of that series, you sort of really belong in that test side now, in that test arena? Yes and no. Like, I've, I think the major turning point for me, I mean, I've, I felt part of the one-day side for a while. The test team, I probably had underperformed for a long time. One where I think my potential was there. Um, and it was just frustrating that I never got over the line. But actually in the West Indies, to get five wickets there, I think that was the big sort of turning point in terms of my self-belief, confidence to feel like I actually was an England player. And it, it just sort of reinforced that in South Africa where I'd built up for probably four or five weeks into that third test. Port Elizabeth not really renowned for fast bowling, so I knew it was going to be hard work. But actually, it, it changed your mindset where you, you go from feel like you're always on trial or having to prove yourself or not doing yourself justice to then after the West Indies I felt even going into that game that I knew it was going to be a hard slog but I was at peace with myself almost mentally I knew what I was trying to do and I was just going to have fun and enjoy it and I felt part of the team whether I got wickets or not so a huge turning point I felt was the West Indies and South Africa was just I mean I, I was averaging 90 with a bat at one point I can't believe I got out for second and ruined that that's <laughs> <laughs> the thing I've thought about for the rest of my career but um, <laughs> the series I mean the Wanderers is rapid so the pitch really suited me it was touch and go whether I was going to play between me and Jofra, um, but Jofra, unfortunately was injured at the start of the the morning of the game he was struggling and now I managed to get the nod and um, I'm pleased that I did because I just had that bit extra zip and bounce in it that you never really get over here. I suppose, in a way, similar to Australia, but because it's at um, altitude, the ball just seems to fly through. Um, and to be in like, an iconic stadium where it can be a little bit hairy at times with their supporters and they can get on your back, but we always have endless amount of Barmy Army fans there who, are, who sort of make it almost like more like a home game on our side, and that's brilliant. So I feel that right by the Barmy Army, um, and the Wanderers and got to hear them sing my song quite a bit so um, it was a great feeling 
Because mm. I, I read your article in, in the Wisdom magazine and you almost said that it, it was like you went from feeling like you had to almost prove yourself. Well, that's what the talk was anyway, that sort of Mark was got things to prove to. And then within that series, it just completely flipped and now it's about what you can do and what you're going to do. Exactly. Um, I feel like the, the sort of bit before where you, you have to prove yourself, it's almost like um, I was picked on potential, um, what I could do if I got it right. Of course, not bowling at 100%, not feeling, and you always try too hard. And then the change of sort of run-up and action to then being South Africa and sort of mentally being a great place, physically being a good place, to then show people what I can do, then went from being picked on potential to being picked on merit because um, I was the, the best guy for the job. In test career, I find it, I think in one-day cricket, you, it's all about knowing your role and like what, like with Owen Morgan, I think you know exactly what your role is in that game. Uh, mm-hmm. I was listening to Stain speak the other day, Dale Stain speak the other day, and he's like, I knew exactly what my role was because every time all the boys, other boys would put the hard work in and there was a wicket, Smith would bring me on to just bowl as quick as I could, full and straight. And it's like, mm-hmm. I, think, I think when you've been in England uh, playing for the test side, it's, you've had sort of different roles. I don't know, hmm. with the South Africa, you had a sort of, you've got to bowl your best ball almost. Yeah. Well, there has been times where um, I've had to be the enforcer or um, yeah. the rule uh, just will bounce us and things. And does it, I feel like at times during games, there is times for that. But ultimately, I feel it's, it's best for the team. Like, I would always do what the captain, if the captain sees it that way forward to try and win the game, then, then that's what I would do. I would always back Rudy or Alistair Cook or, um, mm. Paul Collingwood, whoever was my captain, if that was what they wanted us to do, then I'm happy with that. Sometimes there's a bigger picture. Sometimes I'm bowling around the wicket to create rough. For, for example, I bowled a long spell at the end of the Port Elizabeth game around the wicket. And I got criticised by Colville and Fabian. Yeah, and Colville, Colville criticises everyone. And um, it was the, the criticisers about going around the wicket late in the day when I should be hitting the top of off stump where all the wickets had gone. But actually, I was creating, trying to create rough for Bessie at the other end as well. I had a catch dropped from around the wicket. So all in, if you get that wicket and it creates rough for Bessie to help him, you're bowling in partnerships. The plan would have worked really well, but sometimes it's, there's a bigger picture to why the captain wants you to do it. And although I might have been charged uh, full, I might have been better. Around the wicket was helping Bessie and it was helping rough them up to hopefully play more shots against him, sort of get their beans going. And, mm. and that might get well wicked then. So we often in England, in England talk about partnerships. I know my role has sometimes been that enforcer and it's not always one that I enjoy. I mean, it's hard work bowling bouncer after bouncer after bouncer, especially trying to bowl them as fast as you can. But if that's the role that's needed by the team and it's the best thing for the wicked or the time of the session or the, the time of play, then I'm more than happy to do that. Guessy, do you know, I know it's obviously slightly different probably from a local level, but was there, like, was there a point when you were growing up or when you played where you felt pretty comfortable in a side or you felt, you know, you rather you had to prove something you were in there because you knew you were good enough? I think it goes down to uh, goes down to any level you play. I mean, as, as Mark just said, it's when you get that first, you know, almost match-winning performance, it just settles the nerves. It just, you, you know in yourself that you're good enough to play at that level, we're good enough to perform, but you need that. Kind of, you just want that appreciation for everyone else, and that only ever cut that that comes when you put in that first performance, and then it's no surprise from there. A couple of test matches later, you put in another good performance. So, it, you know, it, it, like, like you say, it's, cricket's very much momentum and snowball effect, and uh, yeah, I think that's 
the situation. And Mark, am I right in saying that before you uh, went out to South Africa, your wife and dad were doing were working the bowling machine and the indoor nets at Durham to help you batting, and clearly it paid off. That is correct. Um, <laughs> it was at um, South Northumberland in Newcastle at Gosforth. Sarah, my wife, and my dad would go on the bowling machine and feed me. I, I did some uh, short ball work, some uh, normal length work. We managed to crank it up quite a bit. So it was a bit of a different. Um, my dad, someone I played, he was an opener batter at Ashington, my local club. So he, he knows a little bit about technique and he was explaining, the, like, saying, oh, you, you weren't playing the ball, or oh, you look good there, or um, try and hit the ball straighter. With Sarah, it was more like, oh, get in line, man, what are you doing? <laughs> Just smack it. Stuff like that. So it, was, uh, it was nice to have um, the two different sessions, but I think I still prefer prefer Sarah's actually. <laughs> is there a is there a real emphasis from England to uh, for the tail for the tail enders or the lower order batters to you know have set targets of what they expect from you? Yeah, I mean as a as a team we set the target of um, or since uh, Chris Silverwood's come in, it's about batting long periods of time and trying to get that four hundred mark because that sets you up for the rest of the game. And as batting partnerships down the order, if we can get one or two above fifty partnerships without putting too much pressure on the individual it could be that I'm batting with Stokesy or I'm batting with Josh Butler or um, Bess or whoever it is batting six, five, six, seven. and your job is to you might only get five or ten but you contribute to a 50 partnership and that helps the team so the, the emphasis because the, I think they're a little bit more understanding on you know we don't get we're not top order batters we won't get millions of runs but if we can emphasise on the job that you're not alone in the battle against fast bowling or uh, ragging wickets, then um, then that's what can help. Lastly, on South Africa, Mark, it seems like, well, with the ODI side over the last few years, there was that real sort of four-year plan from the minute you exited the World Cup in 2015 right up to the World Cup in 2019. And it feels a bit like there's sort of that long-term thinking now with the test side. You can see the likes of uh, Zach Crawley, Dom Sibley, Ollie Pope, Sam Curran, Dom Best, all under the age of... 24 is that sort of the line of thinking slightly more long-term looking at that ashes say in 21 22 yeah i think so i think the long-term goal is to win down under i think um that's our biggest game obviously england australia um we want to do well in the test championship but i think our ultimate goal would be to win away in australia tough place to go against your rivals i think young lads coming in sort of it's a bit of both because we know we've got quality players and depth in the in the squad now and to have young lads coming through and to see Zach do well, Dom. I mean, it was a great dressing room in, in South Africa, a, a younger dressing room and full of energy and everybody was pulling in the same direction. So it's nice to have options. We've now got a pretty fast bowling with myself, Jofra and Ollie Stone as the, as the quick lads. And you had Jimmy Brody, Wokesy, Stokesy, Sam Curran. It, it now looks like that's, that's good. I mean, if you add Saki, Craig Overton, Lewis Gregory, there's Alex Sears. Um, if you add all these lads in as well, then... Uh... A little bit. Unfortunately, uh, when I played against Gessie last year, there wasn't an England selector there because uh, I got a, one, of, one, of, one of the great threefers. <laughs> Luckily, I wasn't part of it. Otherwise, um, I wouldn't have had the end of it. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, you played. Yeah, you played me out all right. To be fair, <laughs> I'm just thinking if you go down under, see as he might play the Chris Tremnett role. <laughs> Sawston was spicy that day. I, I, first ball, I bowled a length ball and it hit Staffy in the shoulder. Alex <laughs> Stafford. Anyway, it's unbelievable. Really Mark Wood's talking about going down, winning an Ashes down under. You still managed to change it back onto yourself. Unbelievable. Incredible. You, uh, he brought it up. I'm just. <laughs> hey, Alex, well ball. Well ball. Don't feed it It's the last thing he needs. From the Pavilion on Cambridge 105 Radio. With regards to your run-up, Mark, you mentioned as well that was a massive change. I think it was around 2018-19. How do you actually go about changing your run-up or your start? Is it literally just like trial and error? Is it a lot of video analysis? Uh, well, actually, my run-up was... Oh, the, the run-up actually came quite naturally. There was the change because... Um, when I warm up in the nets or training days or whatever, I never really do the stop-start run-up unless it's it was like a balls-out training. Usually, if it's like a, like we're just doing rhythm and feel or there's markers out and you're just trying to do some line and length practice, I would just sort of run in normal. I wouldn't I wouldn't do the usual step-back sprinter-style run-up. So to go then back to the new run-up, it, it's sort of like it was just a longer version of me training run-up. So it made it like, sort of transition nice and easy and Kevin Shine the England fast bowling coach I had a really good relationship with him he said oh that looks really good why don't you try and do that like with a bit more momentum and a bit more build up and I tried and it actually felt really good and I also bowling with decent pace and it took me a few months to like sort of bet in where some days it felt great some days it didn't but all in all I felt miles better than my stop start run up where my stop start run up was great if things were feeling good but if things weren't feeling good, it was it was doing us more harm than good. It was hurt my ankle, it put more stress on my body, and it was actually making me have to try and bowl fast when my rhythm wasn't there and making me bowl worse. Whereas with this run up, I felt like if my rhythm isn't quite there, I can still have a effect or get enough out of it, like sort of a flowy motion, um, compared to that stop start one. Look, there's, there's drills that anybody at home can do if people are listening to this. Like, the two best things you can do are, are run-ups. Is one, shut your eyes from the crease and run back and bowl. Repeat, repeat, repeat uh, without a ball. And more often than not, see where you're landing. And you'll have an area of where your body feels natural to run back to. Other things you can do in your run-up, if you've got a jump, like I have, would be marked where your jump is. Um, another thing I used to do as a kid is I used to have a sort of windy run-up where I would start by straight run out and then jump back in which was uh, not great get a piece of string on the off stump at the far end follow it all the way back up the wicket to where your run up is and follow that piece of string all the way down and that, sh- that should be a marker for when you bowl your head everything keeping it simple all the way from A to B down the straight line uh, Alex <laughs> taking notes mate <laughs> I'd say it's a, it's, it's a question that the listeners might be interested in it's, what, what do you think the fundamentals are to bowling fast obviously you bowl 90 plus miles per hour which not many people in the world can actually do and it's a question I'm interested in what do you reckon the actual fundamentals are what would you say to a youngster how did I get quicker I think timing's key so with your action you don't have to have this but a braced front leg definitely helps me energy I would say at the crease so if you're trying to bowl fast in a net, without the battle there, if you're trying to bowl fast in that, mean that you're trying to bowl fast. If, it, if one hits the side, one hits the top of the roof, have a go at trying to bowl fast. Don't just think, oh, I'll, I'll just put it there or I'll push it as, 
have a good ball and fast there when the batter gets there. I mean, Malik is slightly different, but Malinga with his slower ball, he used to, he told our lads that it, for the first year, he was hitting the net every other ball. And then eventually his body got used to, so you've got to sort of trail with trying to bowl fast, I would say, keeping it as simple as possible. Try and get the ball from A to B. With it, I mean, for me, I have three things I look for when trying to bowl fast, or the three that work for me. Or do I feel bouncy in my run-up? Um, so am I flowing to the crease? Does my head go towards the target? So do I go forward and towards the stumps? And does my follow-through end with me going straight down the wicket? I think if your momentum goes down the, the crease, the more simply you can keep it, everything going in a straight line towards off-stump for the left-hander, off-stump for the right-hander, then the better that is. And a, a good gauge of that is, is your head going towards the target? Is your follow through down the wicket I guess uh, they're two two good little indicators um, obviously there's action dependent stuff on bowling fast but the more simply you can uh, get from A to B as quick as you can then the better and lastly on England obviously the world T20 hopefully this year fingers crossed it goes ahead what are your thoughts ahead of that I imagine something you're really looking forward to the chance of being double world champions yeah, that would be awesome. I mean, I didn't exactly put my name in lights after the recent South Africa 2012, but uh, I've still got a bit of work to do there. But I think, again, we've got a good pool of players for that 2020 squad. And a bit like the World Cup 50 of our competition, we've built some good fundamentals and values and team values. And we're led incredibly well by Morgie, who's a fantastic captain. So we'll be out there trying to, to, to make it a double double world champion tag. Callum, what do you make of it as a fan? Because I was looking at the choices yesterday and I was naming about 10 different people for possibly the opening four batting spots. It's ridiculous. It's one of those, it's, I suppose Mark could probably shed a bit more light, but it's, it's one of those, you want competition for places, but you don't want it to be too big a pool of players where you end up giving people a, almost like a go just to prove themselves. I mean, going back to the Ashes and looking back at when England won down under, they had actually a good core group group of players, but the lads that come in and you know come in and bowled and done really well, they're actually who probably won the won the series as well. So it's almost that you got you got to have your core group of players, but it's also the lads coming in have to be able to form. I suppose it's it's one of those. What do you think, Mark? No, I agree, I agree with what you're saying. I think you want to have competition for places. That's what pushes people on to be better. And you want that sort of friendly, friendly competition because ultimately, if you're not a team player or a team man, you're not going to be in the team. So, team comes first, but you want to be pushing each other as hard as you can. And the thing that I find difficult with the 2020 team is, like you say, we could have so many power hitters and and, and good players at the top of the order. It's where to fit them all in. But at the same time, you've got to remember as well that you want to give the lads confidence who are playing to think you're not under pressure to perform every game or you're not going to be out the team. So it's a it's a fine balance between having given people experience and opportunity so that when called upon, they're ready to go. But at the same time, not just swapping every time because then someone that's in the team might feel like, oh, they're always playing for their spot or uh, they've got to perform, otherwise they're not going to be in. Is that where Owen Morgan comes in at his, comes at his best as well? Yeah, he's brilliant. Morgan's brilliant at what he does. I mean... I've said this on um, a few times, and you know, Rooty's a great captain. Alistair Cook was a great captain. Paul Collingwood was a great captain. But the best for me that I've played now would be Owen Morgan. He's um, his decision making, the way he sticks to his values and his fundamentals, the way that he creates a team atmosphere, 
how good he is with his bowlers from my point of view and just the environment and, and atmosphere that he creates makes it enjoyable and it's very clear and you understand straight away. From the Pavilion on Cambridge 105 Radio. Moving on, let's talk about club cricket now then because that's primarily what we're about here on From the Pavilion as a local cricket podcast in Cambridgeshire. Mark, what's your earliest memory of club cricket? Because your boyhood team was Ashington Cricket Club. That's right, that's my home club. I still go there, I still go and watch. I started when I was nine, going up to the cricket club, played for the under-11s. I made my first team debut when I was 15. So I was probably more of a batter as a kid than a bowler. I was a batter who bowled little medium pace as, as like a third or fourth change. Um, and then it wasn't until about 16, 17, I had a bit of a growth spurt. Not that I'm big now, but that just tells you how small I was. And then um, that sort of allowed me to, I don't know, out of nowhere, I just sort of developed pace. And I mean, I've, the amount of love I've got for African Cricket Club, I still, I mean, I've played at other clubs because I've had to, um, when you're on the academy, Durham Academy and stuff, you have to go out to play club cricket, but they want you to play in the Premier League. Unfortunately, Ashton weren't in the Premier League, or you can only have one pro. So if Ashton signed Annie Root Singh, a guy from India, while they had him, I wasn't allowed to play, which I think was a ridiculous rule that I couldn't play for my home club, but never mind. So I had to play elsewhere. And, and no other... I mean, Alex knows more than most people what it's like to start at new clubs and stuff, but I never felt... <laughs> I never felt um, like I was totally into it, like I was with Ashton, playing for other clubs. I mean, I enjoyed it. The lads were great. But playing for Ashton was... Um, at one point growing up, was the only thing I wanted to do. I, that was my club. All my friends were there. My family had played there. That's coincidentally where I met my wife as well. So a lot of good memories and, and good times at that cricket club. We couldn't get Alex. He was demanding too much money um, <laughs> after he's three for. And, uh, we well, I was just I was just thinking, Woody. Um, I met lots of your mates from Ashington Cricket Club at your stag and at your wedding. And um, I saw one of the lads posted a photo from an Ashington under-12s game the other day. And I, I thought it was actually amazing how all of you guys in that team were all still best mates now still. And it's a real... Yeah. You don't get that at all. Or, like Lots of people move away. It's, I thought that was really special about that. Club, actually. We've got a, two things you've got to remember. Once, you, once you're in Ashington, you, you need a passport to leave. And... Um, <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a, in an area of the country where there isn't much else up here. We're half an hour north of Newcastle. And, you know, you have that close community. We've had we a town of about 30,000, an old mining place. To have so many sportsmen come out of that place, they must be doing something right with the community spirit, the sticking together, the friendships, all that, that stuff you mentioned. I think it's a fantastic breeding ground for to develop as a sportsman. That, that You have to work hard. You have to earn everything. You never get too high or they bring you down pretty quickly. Like you've met my friends and that, Alex, everybody's sort of the same. The, the level, they don't, get, they don't let you get too high, they don't let you get too low. And they've shared some good times with me and more than happy to take the, the mickey out of me whenever they get the chance. <laughs> you mentioned as well, Mark, that you literally play your best cricket when you're having fun, you're smiling. Does that all stem from those days playing club cricket with your mates and, and back at Ashington? I think so. I think every dressing room, whether you play for England, for Durham, for Ashington, for Cambridge, wherever. Every dressing room has the same sort of makeup. You'll have a joker. You'll have a, a guy, that guy that's serious, that packs all his kit neatly. You'll have the guy that, you know, is a, is a 
cricket badger who knows every stat under the sun. Every dressing room's the same. It has the same characters, the same people, and it's just how you gel together on the field. But Ashton's one of the biggest strengths is how it gels together off the field. So the fact that we're all close friends and enjoy each other's company, enjoy each other's success, um, and I think that's a major point in the, the England one-day team. We all enjoy each other's success. We all have fun together. We're all close friends all around the same age. So there's there's plenty of positives coming out of that one-day group, which remind me a little bit of the Ashton side I grew up in where we were all friends and you just sort of enjoy enjoy your time in the field. You have fun. Mm. You have a laugh with each other. If something daft happens on the field, whether it's international cricket or not, we're still taking the mickey out of each other. And I mean, you don't maybe see because of the cameras, but there's a lot more mickey taking. And, you know, we notice stuff in the crowd. You notice stuff with all that opposition that you try and see under your breath and stuff. So it, it is funny. You're making me miss cricket even more now, Woody. <laughs> I've got a tear in my eye at that speech. You would bowl the first bouncer on the bowling machine at you, Alex, and then you'll be uh, <laughs> dropping one again. That was the one of the worst cricketing moments of my life. <laughs> what, what was it, Gone? Me and Alex went, uh, went on the bowling machine. And Alex had some... Alex, uh, without blowing too, too much smoke up him here, you know, Alex could have played at a very good level if, if mentally the side of the game he was a bit more switched on because we went and did a net session and on the front foot, he must have creamed literally everything. He'd have been about 80 not out if they just pitched it up. And then we did a short ball practice. I says, right, just watch the ball. Keep your eyes on the... Look at almost where it's come from to hit it. And the first one I put in, as it went down, <laughs> uh, Alex is already joking, but realises that it's not maybe as short as what he thinks. And as the ball hits the back, just before it gets there, he shouts, Whoa! At the top of <laughs> I didn't get anywhere near it, mate. I didn't get anywhere near hitting it. I was about there, and then the ball was literally in front of my in front of my Whoa! It just fell out of the way. So we quickly oh, decided that we had to go back to pitching the ball up for Alex. Woody, no, 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 no. Let's get it full again, mate. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to recreate that. That'd be great to see that. Seriously, what's your earliest memory of club cricket then? It was going down to Beaver Creek Club, which is my dad's club. They play in the Knotts League. And it was just what, well, basically, my mum used to take me down and watch dad score loads of runs. He's like the Nottinghamshire club Jeffrey Boycott. He talks about himself more than I do uh, when it comes to cricket. Woody, you've met, I think you've met my dad, haven't you? He, 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 yeah. he, he, he'll talk to you like he is Nasser Hussain. <laughs> but yeah, um, just, just playing, playing with my friends. Uh, uh, dad had a net put out and uh, had a net in the garden. And my, one of my earliest memories was my brother, uh, who's five years older than me. My dad's throwing balls at him in the garden and just, uh, he, he, he has a different temperament to me. So dad telling him what to do didn't go down well. And I remember my brother throwing the bat at him and walking out the net. And then um, there was me and my mum used to tell dad off for saying, you can't speak to him like that. And he goes, well, he must play straighter. <laughs> uh, so yeah, just, just like, a, lot, a lot to do with my dad, to be fair. Callum? Yeah, similar to Steers, you're going to watch my dad play and then uh, me and my brother's playing on the sideline. The only issue was we had a rule that almost the boundary, the boundary had run round onto the leg side. And my problem was I was bottom man Barry, so I always wanted to whip it. If the ball went onto the field, you, if the ball went onto the, yeah, it was exactly that. If the ball went onto the field, you were given out. So the issue was, I'd always whip it, and then I'd run after the ball to the boundary, but not get any runs. <laughs> Before we move on to your fantasy slip called Mark, 
I worked out roughly that you must have been at secondary school in Ashington when the 05 Ashes was on. That must have been amazing because that was probably when cricket was, was really at its peak. Yeah, so Harmy, Stephen Hampton, he, his, his brothers and his family, a bit like it. So Harmy's uncle and my dad are best friends. Uh, we were best friends growing up. So the whole cricket club atmosphere was, you know, the, the Harmsons had grown up there. I was coming through as a like a young club cricketer. So me and all my friends went into the, the lounge area and we were all watching at the cricket club. Everybody was in there. The, sort of that family friend watching him on the telly. He was my hero growing up. And to see that like going on was just ridiculous. I remember when he got the wicket at um, Edgefast and the Kaslovich, the whole sort of cricket club erupted. And they had like something like that. Someone that he used to still come to the cricket club and um, used to hand out England gear. And although it was extra large, all the young lads would still like try it on and stuff. And <laughs> um, and amazing that now I'm handing out gear to Alex and, and he's and he's the one there. Uh, I'm trying, to sque- I'm trying to squeeze into it though that's the problem <laughs> <laughs> from the pavilion on cambridge 105 radio let's move on to your fantasy slip cordon then mark and uh, i think you did this in the cricketers who's who book a, a few years ago do you actually remember who you put down absolutely not okay i'll read it out to you and you of course you'll have a chance to change it if you like uh, also note you, you have to put one cricketer in, in our version, local or professional. Um, worth noting, though, that Alex didn't put you in his when he did his two weeks ago. Not a chance. Uh, he's a fine leg, the way he's... Wow. You <laughs> get me in, Alex. No. Wow. You put Ricky Ponting instead, I think, wasn't it? Was it Ricky Ponting? Yeah, proper slip uh, catcher. Good goal, actually. I, I would not have any. Good goal. Uh, you've got the smallest hands going. <laughs> True. So, at Wicketkeeper, you had... I can't pronounce his surname, but it was Dennis someone who was a Russian wrestler who was claimed to have the biggest biceps in Russia, 64 centimetres circumference, and also abnormally thick hands, where his wrists were 24 centimetres circumference. Right, so that East is in. Obviously, I've now his hands and biceps cover from Whitaky by the third slip. <laughs> He's definitely staying in. He's literally a definition of buckets. <laughs> exactly. He's there. At first slip, you had Sanka Kofi is from Cool Runnings because he's a top sledger. You can't rewrite that. He's sitting in there as well. Okay. Draw, draw a line down his head. You look like a butt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, second slip, you had Leslie Nelson. Of course, Naked Gun, airplane films as well. Well, he's That's... a legend, but I, I, I'll change it because we we'll obviously can't have the same one. So I'll keep, keep on first. They get to know each other. Okay. <laughs> um, pretty well done. So I'll put them in the same, but I'll put the second slip to. Um... Do you want me to read out the rest so then you can make a, a decision after? Because there, there's some other ones. Well, I've got, I've got to get Arnold Schwarzenegger in there for Alex. So okay. um, I'll get I'll get Arnie in there, second slip, just so when the tail end has come on, I can bring me fast baller on and he can turn the rest of the slip cord and say, What's got them so spooked? <laughs> Third slip, you've got Vinnie Jones. Of course, former footballer. Oh, Vinny, intimidation. I like it. Yeah, I would probably swap Vinny with Jack Nicholson. So I'll have Jack Nicholson in for um, reviews. So <laughs> whenever we, we get a DRS, he, he, we're going to ask him. And he can say, "You want the truth? You can't handle the truth." <laughs> <laughs> we'll have Jack Nicholson in a third. And Gully, you had Jason Bourne or Matt Damon for the for the Bourne film series. 
So it's up to you, and you've got to put one cricketer in there. Well, I have to put a cricketer in there. So we'll keep the yeah. we'll keep the first four. The cricketer. Let's give a cricket answer. Who's the best slip I've seen? Can be local or, or just or just a local best friend you play with at Ashington or or whoever you like. Yeah. Um, well, I'll go for depending on the wick, the type of wicket. If I need a slow bowler, then I'm going to pick Bob the Dog from Ashton or Bob the Dog. Bob the Dog or Bob the Dog is a um, cricket legend. He must be about forty odd now. Both slow left arm, but it's the slowest slow left arm you've ever seen. It's like thirty mile an hour. The amount of pros he's done by literally the thick right will try and smack him and either get stumped or caught on the boundaries is not funny and he used to feel that slip and he took one of the best slip catches off me so either him or the best slipper that I played with at England or Durham would have been Scott Borthwick really? at Durham he just did not he just did not drop them Borthwick uh, but the badge I would call him he um, had the best hands I don't I actually kind of think of him dropping a catch off me so <laughs> I would say Badger was the best. Best England slipper. If I had to, if I wanted someone to catch for my life, just because he could do the ridiculous, it's probably Stokesy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think Alex is slightly disappointed you haven't put him in, but understandable, really. Well, he didn't put me in, so that's it. That's nah. it. This, this is the last chat with me and Alex will ever have. Uh, exclusive for your viewers because me and him won't be speaking after this. My, my former, my, my teammates would have, Definitely agree with to not have me in the slips. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I'll read it back to you. Mark Wood's fantasy slip called and then behind the stumps you've got Dennis, the Russian wrestler, the man with 24 centimetres of circumference wrists. First slip, you've got Sanka Kofi from Cool Runnings. Third slip, you've got Arnold Schwarzenegger. Fourth slip, Jack Nicholson. And then Gully, the world-renowned... Bob, what was his name? Bob the Dog. Is he going to be delighted with that as well? Probably. Good. Glad to hear. Tunes into uh, Cambridge 105 <laughs> a lot up there. <laughs> <laughs> That's what everyone's playing. Yeah, we'll finish some quick fire. Just to clarify for everybody, he isn't actually a dog. He is a human. <laughs> <laughs> Let's finish some quick fire questions then, Mark. Who's the hardest player to bowl against? Uh, in test matches, Ken Williamson's a nightmare. Uh, in one Diaz Virat Kohli Who's the bowler you were most anxious facing as a as a batsman? Mitchell Johnson said, I, said he, that I was dead once ball <laughs> uh, You're dead man <laughs> When was the the moment you were most nervous waiting to bat? World Cup final Never felt yeah. that sick in my life was literally close to spewing Leaving you- during the 17s <laughs> coming into face you seriously yeah scary <laughs> did you say you were sitting on a washing machine as well at the World Cup final wasn't it yeah that was true true story of all the places sit in the Lord's dressing room well I, I tried everywhere else and it, it didn't work that was the only place that we didn't lose a wicket so I just stayed there <laughs> big wickets get tumbling everywhere else so you just put washing machines there well, no, no wonder I felt sick before I batted it's yeah. not that long and like, uh, 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 <laughs> when I felt ill they were doing a quick wash. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best atmosphere to play in in England, first of all? Oh, um, Treadbridge or Edgebaston. And across the world? 
if we're on top, MCG's good. If we're on top, <laughs> to be honest, Cape Town, Cape Town this year, um, I didn't play. I was twelfth man, but Cape Town this year was the best away atmosphere I've been at, especially with the end of the game, like the Barmy Army were awesome. They're amazing, absolutely amazing. Who's the who's the hottest prospect in this country? So the one to watch. Uh, a young lad, um, seen bowler, bat like six or seven and whack it. Alex David Sears. Uh, <laughs> which club? Which club? Suffer Warden. Yeah, that's the one. Watch out! Watch out! He's he's past it though. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if there was a late burst onto the professional cricketing scene. Oh, it'd be marvellous, wouldn't it? I'll take. I'll snatch that up in a in a second if it was possible. But unfortunately, you've got yeah, to be good at batting. Yeah, cooking program first. Yeah, I, well, I've got offers from Jamie Oliver, but um, <laughs> no, you've got to be good at batting and bowling. I think to be a pro, <laughs> you've got a career to fall into afterwards if it didn't work out. Uh, who would you most like to spend lockdown with? One England teammate, Liam Puggins, and least likely uh, Johnny Bairstow. <laughs> I couldn't, I, I couldn't live with Johnny just because when we're in the dressing room. I mean, loves his rugby, Johnny. But every three seconds, I think it's because I wind him up. He wants to, he wants to just spear me to the ground. And I think in lockdown, it would just overtake him, and he would end up just driving me through a wall. And um, I think he's always winning. He's always winning on that one. So yeah, he'd fold, he'd, he'd fold you like a deck chair, mate. He's got, he's they've got the widest back you've ever seen as well. So that would definitely not help. He seems like someone just on the go all the time. He can never sit still. Yeah, he's um, he's he's up there with like one of the fittest. Like he could just run and run and run and run. He's loads of energy, quite chilled in the dressing room, really. But he loves his rugby, and the fact that um, I keep telling him I'm going to smash him and do this and do that, I think I couldn't help myself in lockdown, and he would actually wipe me through the wall. <laughs> uh, and how many runs could you hit Searsy for in and over? Oh, here we go, lots. Well, first ball, he nipped it back and hit me straight in the box. So I couldn't get. So first ball, I'd have to have a look again. I'm not sure which way he's going to nip it in or out. Um, so after that, let's just say twenty. Seriously, <laughs> vice versa. Um, I well, I, my so my my history against quick bowling in club cricket. Uh, I've been hit. I told. I said last time. I've been hitting the sternum quite a few times. Growing up, <laughs> just hitting me. So you bowl. You can bowl one short ball at me, and I might. I might edge it for four. But I, I think. I, I think I'd probably get none, or maybe a nick through the slips for four. Just like try and try and hit him. Hit him back to the northeast. That's yeah. <laughs> where you'd be good, man. You'd be good. <laughs> Something we'd love to see. Mark, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Really appreciate it. Hopefully it's not long before you're back out on the pit soon and playing English shirt and uh, stay well on the, the rest of lockdown as well. Thanks, lads. Cheers, Woody. Cheers, mate. Nice one. Take care, lads. From the Pavilion on Cambridge 105 Radio. So that's it. That's all we have time for this week on the From the Pavilion Lockdown podcast. Thank you so much to Mark Wood for coming on the show. A real pleasure chatting to him. Thanks as ever to Callum Guest and Alex Sears for coming on too. Thank you to you for listening as well. We'll be back next week with another podcast. You can also head over to our social media pages at FTP Cricket 105 on Twitter and Facebook to find out all the local news around Cambridgeshire with the cricket scene and nationally too. 
all that's left to say then in the meantime until next week is stay safe and well and you'll hear from us again very soon bye bye Cambridge 105 Radio